Hello, welcome to CPP Chat, a sometimes weekly look at what's going on in the world of C++. Chatting with guests from the community. We'll introduce this week's special guest in just a moment. But first, I'll hand over to Disclaimer to read a John. Um, this disclaimer is in all uppercase, so I'm going to, <laughs> you'll have to assume that I'm shouting this. On an as-is and as-available basis, CPP Chat makes no representations or warranties of any kind, express or implied, as to the operation of this site or the information, content, materials, or products included on this site. You expressly agree that your use of this site is at your sole risk. Thank you all Sorry, very didn't, much. Sorry, didn't hear that. Could you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we are, are blessed this week. We have two organizers of a new C++ conference. Uh, Core C++ is going to be held in Israel, and it is the week immediately after C++ Now, which is uh, going to be in Aspen. So I'm not sure how much crossover we're going to have between the two conferences, but um, but it's but it's not very far away, and it is the first year for this. So we have two of the organizers from that. Uh, welcome, Adi Shavit and Michael Gopstein. Hi, hello, hello. How are you guys? Great. I'm glad to be here. Um, Michael, Michael will just let us know he's 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 getting he's overcoming a virus, so his his voice is a little rough today. Um, so are you guys excited about your conference? Oh, yes. Extremely excited. I think it's going to be yeah. an amazing, amazing event. And uh, we're super excited and hoping to see a lot of people. Yes, yes, um, yes. Both yes. from Israel and abroad. Well, before we dive into that, let's do a little bit of a wrap up of other stuff that's going around, uh, particularly other conferences before yours uh, is C++ on C. And what were you saying, uh, Phil, four days away? Four days away, yeah. As we record this, obviously, if you listen to the podcast, I don't know if I'll have time to edit this before the conference starts. So <laughs> it may have already happened. Well, congratulations uh, on such a great conference. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it was really so well. nice to see you again. <laughs> I've been hearing hearing great things about it already. <laughs> time just flew by. It seems like only yesterday. <laughs> so it's four days away. Yes, yeah, de- definitely very close. Uh, but tickets are still uh, selling if you are listening to this live. Um, okay. Especially for the for the workshops, one of them did sell out. I think we mentioned last time, it's the the low latency workshop. Uh-huh. Um, the others still have places available, so uh, there is still a few days for that. Okay. Um, other than that, you're too late. All right. Well, I have a very important question to ask you about the mm-hmm. conference. Okay. Do you have uh, enough wristbands that say EastConst to hand out to all the participants that want to be EastConsters, which I'm sure they all will. Well, um, this is, I think, the, the last one that I have for my collection. Uh-oh. So I, I thought I needed to order some more. And uh, after looking around, it seemed that the, the best option was to actually order them from the States. And to make sure they actually arrived in time, I had them delivered to uh, to Matt Godbolt, because he's coming over as uh, one of my keynote speakers. And um, I was speaking to him today, and he said, oh, those, those wristbands still haven't arrived. So I went to, to check the, the order, and it said that they were delivered two days ago. So he said, hold on a minute. He went outside, and he found them deep in the snow somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So a thousand wristbands uh, have actually arrived, and uh, they should be, should be coming over to me by, by next week. So we should be all right. Uh, and that's just as well, because, for, well, first of all, uh, Peter Bindles has ordered uh, a thousand oh, no, um, no, no. const east. <laughs> wristband so we couldn't have that uh, sorry const west um and uh, two of the rooms at the uh, the venue we've named 
East Const and Const West. So <laughs> it wouldn't really be appropriate if we didn't have the wristbands. So. Oh, yeah. I love the names of the rooms. I like that the bar is called Break. Yeah. Yeah. Semicolon. Yeah, semicolon. Very good. Very good. Very good. Well, I'll make this offer to anyone else. If you're going to a conference that uh, Phil or I are not going to, contact me and I'd be happy to send you wristbands to distribute at the conference because we really want, uh, or if you're uh, attending a, a user group and you want to hand them out at a user group, something like that, please contact me because I really want people. And if you have one, absolutely wear it when you go to a conference, wear it when you go to a user group meeting. And if you go to a standards meeting, absolutely. That's the main point is to let people in the standards committee know that we want to be heard and we don't want to be silenced and shouted down like we're currently are being yeah i got mine here oh there you go uh, uh other conferences coming up we have there you go we have accu which is going to be in april um i guess before that is uh embo plus plus which is in march uh, both right. of them have registrations open and then in in may we have C++ Now, which submissions are closed. Submissions are being evaluated right now. If you'd like to be on the program committee, please contact me about that. I'll send you information about being on the program committee. Uh, registration is open. We are now taking rooms. And by the way, we have an issue this year. They were not able to give us as many rooms as they normally can uh, at the resort there. So uh, we are working on finding a a backup room block but if you would like to stay in the main hotel at seaplus now do not hesitate to get your rooms nailed down right away uh and then also in may is core c plus plus uh jumping ahead in june uh italian c plus plus i believe uh, uh they've already announced that andre is keynoting i think you can still uh contact them about speaking if you're interested in that um so let's talk a little bit about Core C++? Let's. Uh, so how long have you been planning this? When did, you, when did you decide, let's do a conference? Well, actually, the story goes a little bit uh, back uh, about a year ago when, we, when I, was, I just started uh, the Core C++ users group in Israel. Uh, actually, by your prodding, John, and uh, I spoke to you and Jens uh, on Slack, and you said, yeah, just, just start the meetup group, and you'll see how many people are going to come. And... We and that's were, really the only way. You can't know yeah. how successful it'll be until you do it. You just have to do it. And, and Meetup doesn't even give you the proper tools to gauge interest. It has these fields and people, you have the ability to enter your like tags you're interested in, but there's no way to actually do a search of how many people in your radius or whatever. So yeah, I just started the group and I set a run, almost an arbitrary date a month and a half ahead. For the first meetup, and I think Michael was the first person to to suggest giving a talk. So we ended up, both of us were the only people speaking at the first uh, meetup. And when I was preparing my slides for the first uh, the first meetup, I didn't know how many people are going to come. I didn't know who's going to come. I didn't know anything. So I had this, uh, in addition to the regular meetup, uh, you know, hopes and wishes, I had the, these stretch goals. And they went from the, the more mundane to the more ambitious. And the last line was, okay, let's have a C++ conference. Okay, I, and I wrote this slide before the first meetup of the users group. And last July, we had a very, very large and successful meetup in Tel Aviv, sponsored by, uh, I think it was JFrog. They invited yeah. us to organize. Uh, they had their own conference there. And they said, okay, look, we have the venue in the evening. Why don't you come and organize the meetup? 
it was a great success. And they said, okay, we can't believe you brought all these people who stayed up until 10 p.m. to listen to technical talks. Let's do something more. And I said, okay, let's do a conference. Um, it's on my stretch goal uh, slide. Um, and they said, okay, let's. And we started the ball rolling and uh, we had some different changes and we found the venue and uh, more people got on board and now it's in full swing. We already are... Talk submissions ended uh, last week or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks okay. ago. And we have, I think we have about 20 slots altogether in two tracks in two days. And we are, we got over 65 uh, submissions. So I wow. think, uh, Phil, wow, it's wow, the wow. same kind of problem you have. We're going to have to reject some uh, uh, really, really good talks and speakers. Um, um, so yeah. have you announced keynotes? We announced one keynote. Jason Turner is going to give the because I know yes. that he talked about it on uh, on CPP Cast last right? week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he was planning to skip C++ now because they were just too close together and it was yeah too big a too big a problem to make. But you know, when we have as many conferences in this community as we as we have, the, you know, it's uh, nobody's going to be able to go to all of them. Although uh, people like Phil. Uh, uh, try right. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, uh, J Frog's been a great support, but so has JetBrains um, supporting the community. That's true. These these companies that go to the conferences and and are supportive. That's just that's what makes these things possible. So we really and both that. both are actually sponsors of our conference as well. So they've yeah. been very yeah, helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely. Are so. There- um, so you have uh, 20, 20 slots, is that what you said? So it's two days. Yeah, two days, two tracks, one okay. uh, English, one full English track. Especially if we're going to have international speakers, we can't have them sitting out on, on, on talks. And the other track is going to be mixed Hebrew and English. So we can, we can attract a broader crowd. Um, okay. I'm sure you guys know this, but it's really difficult to get to C++ developers. Somehow they're always... Many of them are not uh, very tightly connected to the community, and we're uh, we find ourselves literally prodding people uh, manually on on Meetup, just saying hi, welcome to the group, talk to us, you know, and uh, have you heard about this conference and and trying to grow. But I think we recently passed seven hundred members of our Meetup group in just over a year, which is wow, uh, fantastic. That's, that's very good. That's but, very very good. Must you feel like you always start? to tap into the whole community of the developers in Israel and it must be much larger than they've reached so far. I hope that maybe more people will join the meetups and the conference and uh, these are great great events. You can learn a lot of things and yeah. how to enlarge it. Yeah, it's, it's a shame that there are so many, you know, dark matter, which is the term that somebody coined. Yeah. Uh, dark matter developers. These are people who uh, who don't emit light, right? They, they they may or may not be reading blogs, but usually they're not participating at all in in the community, and and that's what we have to reach. We have to figure out how to get people excited about the fact that that you know CPP C is not just in a book. It's actually people out there doing this and talking about it, and and if you're not involved in that discussion, then you're not helping the community grow in the right direction, and. Um, you know, talking about the features that we want and, and what we want to work on, uh, libraries that we want to develop, those kinds of things. So do you have a particular theme or were you just saying this is going to be a general C++ conference? General one. So I've only have uh, like the workshops 
published, and I think that all the workshops are really great. About from Peel, about from Phil on, on the urine testing, and one from Jason, from Dan Sachs, from Amir. Uh, also one from Diego on the Conan. So these are really great. Uh, uh, I get workshops. It's a good opportunity for people basically to come to such sessions close to the home instead of the need to travel to, to CVPCon or the conferences. Uh, so I think that uh, many, many people will enjoy and really, really learn a lot of stuff from these workshops and from the conference itself. So how many attendees are you expecting? Well, I don't, I don't think we know this, uh, the big unknown. Uh, yeah. I can tell you how, much, how many we're hoping. Well, uh, that's okay. Um, we're hoping to, be, to get around uh, 200 people. Um, maybe that's, between that's, 150 and 200. This is like our sweet spot. Yeah, that would, that's, that's a good solid conference. That's a good number. Uh, you know, that's more than what you're going to get at C++ now. Um, and so that's, that's, you can have a great conference with, with that many people. Um, what I was going to ask you also about is, um, you know, I hear about high tech in Israel every once in a while, but I don't know, is there, are there, uh, industries that you're particularly well represented or, uh, in the user group that you have now, what are, what are the interests of the attendees of the, of the user group meetings? Or is there, is it, is there some specific industries that are well represented or is it just more general? I think it's general. <clears throat> Maybe the finance and the trading industries mm-hmm. uh, are pretty hot. And, uh, but that is an area where C really shows. There are many companies. Yeah. yeah and uh, like the embedded developers, there are many different, many different areas, and we do expect people from different backgrounds to come and join the mm-hmm. conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've had people from all over. It's a very general population, I think. Um, it, it's actually interesting because I, I haven't met anybody from the finance in- industry until we started the user group. So, and suddenly, like, we, we hear all these companies. Some of them are large international companies that have development centers here in Israel, and some of them are small Israeli companies that are mostly working abroad. So... Uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of those and embedded developers doing people doing basically, you know, the, the same kind. I think it's more or less the same in many other C++ developer communities. So we're seeing a nice mix. And yeah. we could have a meetup when somebody would come up to me uh, after the meetup and said, you know, I really enjoyed the first talk, but the second one was not really up my alley. And then like a second later, somebody else would come and say the exact opposite. So uh, Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buried in survey results from last year's CPPCon, and I see exactly the same thing. Someone else, someone's complaining that you know it's too cold, and some people are complaining it's too warm. I mean, it's just you, yeah, exactly. But I think that's um, that's a good thing. Like when I try to when we try to to set the program, we do it in such a way that it, you know people do. Israel is a really really small country, so people like the 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 sense of distance here is very much reduced relative to other countries especially like the US so like for people to travel 20 25 minutes over 25 minutes is considered like a, okay that's a long distance drive right so um we try to make it such that you know it's worth your while okay you did come maybe you drove 40 minutes or maybe 45 minutes 
Uh, so you got your we got we got your pizza covered and and we're gonna give you <laughs> two two full length talks plus uh, some news and updates and also like another we generally usually have like an, another like ten minute corner uh, in the meetups and and we use that basically to bootstrap a lot of the people who hopefully will talk at the conference so right yeah so what's been a for your submissions, and I know you probably don't want to talk about everybody who's submitted because it's it's confidential until you announce, but what's the mix been as far as uh, international versus local uh, in the submissions? I think the most international, like you know, 60-70% international, yeah. and the rest are local. Well, that's, that's a really good number for, you know, uh, as young a, a user group as you have. To have a third being local, yeah, that's you're you're build, you're building up a good community. Then that's great. That's very good. Yes, other people, some people, said to ask in person to submit a talk, but uh, it worked. I mean, they did, and that's what was important. What I'm sorry, I missed. That. What did you say? Then some of the people just needed to ask them to submit. The talk, but uh, right, right, right. Well, that's but eventually they did. Uh, that's what you have to do. You have to encourage people because that's what you want to do. Is you want to build up that local talent. Um, the people who do speak at the conference are going to also want to speak again at your local group. Uh, Th- that's our hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To build that up. Yeah, I know that that's what um, a lot of um, several of the conferences that are regional conferences that's kind of grown out of an active user group. And I think it, I think that the active user group supports the conference. This conference supports the active user group. In fact, that's the way I look at it. Even like CppCon, which isn't really a, you know, coming from a user group, but we're CppCon. We very much try to support as many local groups as we can, encouraging like we did with with you guys. You know, start one up locally yeah. because I think that the conference, the conference wants to support all those local groups, and I think it's because the local groups support us both in terms of encouraging people to attend the conference and a lot of the local groups will have a, after, after a conference, they'll have a trip report meeting where people who went to the conference will talk to people who didn't and say, these, this is what was going on. This is what the, uh, the feel of it was. And then these are the sessions that you want to see if there's going to be recorded sessions or something like that. Will you be recording your sessions? Yes. Yes. We're trying because this is a totally community-driven thing. So nobody's trying to, you know, to to make money off of the conference. So all all of the, um, all the tickets basically go to fund the travel and accommodations for the speakers and taking care of the venue and the the uh, recording and all of those expenses. So it's a very right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. So hopefully it will all go online. Yeah. Just to mention. There are two user groups in Israel. So one is ours, and the second is in Haifa. Uh-huh. Haifa C++. And uh-huh. they also take an active part in the organization of the conference. Excellent. So Iran, who is the organizer of that group, is part of, of the committee of our conference. And uh, so it's a joint effort between uh, all the people who we could find in Israel would be interested in uh, in making such an event. So. Right, 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 right. Um, and is there going to be any, uh, are you going to 
sponsor a music festival at the same time so that people who want to want to want to have some music with their C++ is that going to be a problem for these people um yeah it's funny you should uh, <laughs> funny you should yeah. mention that we were expecting about 10,000 conference attendees so the city of Tel Aviv set up a tent city uh to do that um, uh, but but I'm guessing some of them are going to go to the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, which happens on the same I week. See. Yeah, I um, see. I see. Yeah, so we actually the dates we didn't want the conference to be in the summer because Tel Aviv gets really hot in the summer, and we wanted like the spring is an amazing time to come to Tel Aviv and to come to Israel. So uh, the the venue actually where it's going to happen is the the Academic College of Tel Aviv Yafo. And they're actually one of the major sponsors and organizers of the conference. And Amir, this is like our fourth um, committee member, is really helping us uh, with the venue and with the organization. So they're right smack in the middle of, of Tel Aviv, and it's a beautiful campus. And the dates of the conference that we had are due to the semesters of the students. So we wanted it in June, but that's like the time where uh, all the students go to, they have their exam, exams. So uh, uh, we picked May and then only after we announced it, we noticed that it's a week after C++ now and on the week of the Euro- Eurovision. So yeah, <laughs> um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. Yeah, it does sound it, it does sound like fun, but people need to make their travel arrangements because, the, because there's going to be issues there, right? Yeah, uh, accommodation is going to be an issue. Um, We did uh, make some uh, uh, hotel block reservations. So uh, if people are traveling, uh, get in touch with us. We got some uh, special uh, conference uh, discounts at nearby hotels. Uh, But uh, the sooner you make the reservations, the better, because Tel Aviv is expected to be full of uh, of, uh, partying uh, Eurovision um, enthusiasts. (laughs) So some of those block reservations are intense, are they? <laughs> yeah, no, actually, uh, we, we had to. <laughs> uh, but I think a tent, the tent city is an option if you're really into it. Uh, so, uh, But I, I don't have the details. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so uh, we did have one, um, one article that, that has caused a little bit of discussion, and that is um, by... Uh, Vector Pool, although I think I, I did look up his name. What is his name? I think I know as well. Um, well, anyway, I'll look that up. But uh, but he posted a blog post saying C++ modules might be dead on arrival. Uh, you want to give us a little bit of this, uh, Phil? What's he talking about? Well, this has been a longstanding complaint. And what's interesting is it seems to be uh, still, still not completely addressed by the modules proposal, uh, and that's it's really about the toolability, but in particular um, the the build system toolability of modules, and it stems from the fact that when you import a module, you import it by name, but there's nothing to map that name to which files need to be compiled to to produce the module. So either you have to just compile everything and then hope that one of that module drops out of it, or you have to have some way, some deterministic way to uh, to map those names to to what you then need to to compile, and the idea is to to make this parallelizable. Uh, you really need to make that look up lazy, so that at the point that you encounter the name, you then can go off and say, "Has that already been compiled?" And if not, compile it at that point. Uh, and then uh, as an extra uh, level on top of that, uh, to to add to the non-determinism, 
the uh, assuming you do find the files, you still have to run the, the full preprocessor over the module definition before you can actually tell what the module name is going to be. So you still don't know until you've actually basically compiled the file. Uh, so that those two problems together, if they can't be worked around, can be um, definitely a real killer for the performance promises of modules, which is one of the big things that most people were hoping for. So there's a, there's a bit of a story to it, so I encourage you to read the article um, by uh, Colby Pike. Uh, I think uh, John's just, just put up. And I, I haven't looked into it enough to know um, exactly whether those problems are still there because it seems that some people on the committee seem to think it's not a problem. So uh, I'm quite interested to hear from people that know more about it than I do to, to chip in. But it definitely seems to be a concerning problem because we are getting very close to approving modules for C++20 in uh, just a few weeks, I think, is, is the next meeting. Right. Um, so if it goes in in its current form, it could have this glaring issue. Uh, or, or maybe it won't go in at all if, if the issue does come up. So either way, it's, it's a bit concerning at this stage. So, you know, one of the things about, you know, classic C++, the way we do includes, and, and he kind of does a summary of that in his article about, okay, let's, let's step back and take a look at how we do includes. And we're used to the fact that there's actually something there that is not not in our code, which is when we when we give the name of a file, we say include this file, and we don't specify in our code where that is. That's something that the compiler has to know somehow. And we just kind of, it's such a small thing, and we're used to it, and we don't think about it. But really, if you actually have, if all you have is the source code, usually you can't build something, because you have to somehow tell the compiler, oh, and by the way, here's where to look for these other files. And we say, well, that's that's minor. You put in a path. But we've kind of, you know, we fudge it because it's not that big a deal. But the, the standard actually explains the difference between angle brackets and quotes. And no one ever seems, first of all, I've met very many people who actually know what the standard says about that. And and people have their own ideas about what it actually means and, and how to use it. Um, I I have I I have this, this thing when I give my talk, sometimes I, I ask people um, about the angle brackets because the way the standard actually treats that is only something that appears in angle brackets is called a header. So we think about headers all the time. Oh, here's my foo.h. It's a header. Well, according to the standard, foo.h is not a header because it's only a header if it's a standard, you know, vector is a header. But anything you write, that's a user file. And headers are files that are provided by the implementation. And the standard is a little a little weird in this because in once in in most of the standard it looks as if what they mean is only standard files are headers but in some of the 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 commentary about versions if you read the standard there's always a section that says well what's the, this is the difference between the last standard and this standard and it gives some examples and in there it kind of says that POSIX files that are not part of the standard but are part of the POSIX implementation those would also be considered headers um, so it's, so it's a little, the standard itself is not really all that clear on what a header is, but, but anyway, this whole area is just kind of all glossed over. It's, it's outside of our source code. You say include, and you just expect the file the the compiler is going to find that. And I think that modules has taken this, at least we gave it a file name, but with modules, we don't even have a file name anymore. So somehow the compiler has to figure out when you say, you know, include this module, which I think is is kind of a good thing in that we we give it a, a name in the 
C++ world and we're divorcing it from what file it has to be in, which is, you know, the, the pound include is such a physical tie that it's, it's not really from a language purity point of view. It's kind of a, a wart in the language. It's part of the reason why people want to get rid of it. But, but if you go to a pure language thing and you say, well, import this module now, how does the compiler know what file that's in or where to find that file? And, and as he's pointing out, as Colby's pointing out in, in his, uh, in his talk, you don't, or in his blog post, you don't even know if you knew what file was in, you don't know what the name of the module that that file is going to be until you pre-process the whole module and look for where it says, Oh, I'm exporting this name. And, and I, I think it's, it's a problem that we can hand wave around. And I think that's what a lot, a lot of the standard, that's what a lot of people in the committee are kind of doing. Say, oh, well, the, somehow you'll tell your compiler where to find these files and you'll, and we'll have a, we'll develop a, a, well, just like we do now with, um, uh, we have kind of a convention that says, oh, there's a class called foo and the header for that foo, the, the declaration of that is going to be in foo.h or foo.hpp. And it's just a convention and it works and everybody understands it. But, but, but where does this convention come from? And if we're going to expect compilers to know this, then someone has to either define it specifically or leave it completely and say, okay, compiler magic. Somehow the compiler is going to know. And how is that going to happen? And I think these questions should be discussed before it becomes part of the standard. And I don't know that those, I don't know those, I think a lot of that discussion has happened, but I don't think anybody is, has, has nailed it yet. I don't think it's been made formal or maybe I'm misreading the situation. The, the impression I get, and again, I haven't really been involved in the, um, the meetings where this has been discussed. I've just more heard what's been said afterwards. Um, seems like, yes, it has been discussed, but the the relative importance of, the issue we're talking about now uh, hasn't been considered high enough by, by those that are actually making the decisions compared to um, the other wrinkle, which is C++ compilers need to work in environments where they don't have a file system in the sense that we understand it. There, there are limitations that don't allow that one-to-one mapping uh, necessarily. Um, and they might be quite rare, but they're, they're very real. And I don't think everyone thinks that that's necessarily a showstopper, but that often seems to be the, the sticking point. Is, is my understanding. I always find um, conventions, you know, programming by convention, uh, kind of a code smell. I mean, uh, sometimes, but it's it's a language level smell. Uh, and, and the, you know, there are many frameworks that have, the only way you can work is if you understand conventions. And I think what you mentioned about header files, it's not such a convention because theoretically, it only, you know, if you have like IDE tools that need to match between... Uh, the implementation file and the header file, it might look at the extensions, but the compiler doesn't really care about the names. It may be syntax highlighting. Um, but you could, I don't think the compiler doesn't uh, even checks the extensions or at least not for the simple compilation stuff. You can include anything you want and it will just copy and paste that. So it's not right. very, it's not a very strong convention that will break your code. And I think there is probably an active, uh, there is, C++ actively doesn't try to to use conventions for things. Maybe I'm wrong here, but... Uh, no, no, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, yeah. the, the convention is for humans. Yeah, exactly. But the compiler doesn't care. And if I'm looking for the class foo, I know where to go. But the compiler doesn't care. And in fact, the, you know, foo may, cons- may have a number of different classes in it, none of which happen to be called foo. But, you know, 
that's something that you need to discuss with your people on your team about if you want them writing code that looks like that, where you can't find where the class is and you don't know what, what header to look for. But that's, um, but, but the point is that we are now in a situation where we're going to start saying, include this module. And we now have, you know, the compiler has to know, well, okay, where did that module come from? If I'm going to physically build it. And, and that's, you know, maybe it's outside the compiler's problem. Maybe it's a build tool problem, but the compiler is a build tool as well. So, uh, you know, that, that has to be done somehow, somehow that ties. Maybe it's like a link, like a linker, but it's like a pre-compilation linker, which does the lookup of the names, uh, just like a linker does at the end of the compilation. And, and and how does that mean? That means that the, this pre-linker has to scan all the files to find out which headers uh, or which, which source files are creating, which, modules and as colby's pointing out you can't you actually have to run a complete preprocessor you can't just scan it looking for specific tokens because because we have the preprocessor and so you have to run the full preprocessor in order to to find those um you know he suggests uh, you know python has a way of solving this where things are you know python mandates that things be laid out in a certain way if you want to you know, include something, it has to be, you know, down, you specify the file path that it goes down. And, you know, it's, it's, it's because it's all done, you know, it's an interpreter. So things are laid out in a certain way. Um, And we could document that and we'd say, okay, this is what your source file has to look like. But as Phil has pointed out, not every environment that you want to be able to host a compiler on necessarily has the same kind of thing as we think of as a file system. It doesn't necessarily have directories the way we think of them. And, and, and the standards committee has been slow to try to mandate that. And, and for, I think it's for very good reason, but now we're faced with this situation. And I think under specify, under specifying it is a, is an approach. And I'm not sure it's the best approach, but that's what we're kind of having now. It's like uh, the compiler will somehow know what this means. And that's kind of scary. Friend of the show, Robert Ramey, is uh, saying in the chat, uh, how about going into DLLs and visibility as well? <laughs> and then uh, Victor mentioned the static libraries. And, of course, you know none of these things are directly related to modules, although there's a connection there. But the, the underlying problems that, that mean that they're not really in scope for the, the, the standard, um, that, that a lot of the same underlying uh, issues there. So if, if we do set a precedent with modules in this, then that's going to open the door to discussions about all of those things as well which which may be a good thing or it may be something we want to avoid uh but it is a thing i think so as, as robert says yeah it's uh pulling on the yarn of a very large sweater <laughs> i think i sometimes have like the feeling where the standard tries to define only extremely low level things it kind of misses a lot of opportunities uh um, again i haven't read the modules proposal i'm kind of waiting for it to become more mature uh uh, so I, I'm just, uh, but, but you know, if you think about, I read some of the earlier uh, coroutines uh, definitions, and those are extremely low level and only, and if you try to read it, it takes a, re- a lot of work just to understand how this is actually supposed to work. And I understand that now there's a lot of uh, controversy about if that's really the way to go. But if, if you're only providing very low level stuff, which is essential, of course, it's, um, um, well, that is where you have to start, right? I mean, if you're going to... I think that's the philosophical... It's a policy decision. 
do you start there and you stop there and you, you keep the rest for the next version of the language or you provide uh, multiple levels and at least, okay, you have the low level part so you can write anything yourself, but you also provide something a bit more mature, a bit more handle the typical use cases like, you know, networking libraries and Boost Azure is like a very classical example where uh, beginners find it very hard to get started because it, it sells itself as a low level, high performance library, but Doing the basic stuff takes too much work. Well, I mean, I think a, a better example to think about here is is not networking, but uh, multi-threading, right? Because it used to be in classic C++, multi-threading was automatically undefined behavior. I mean, what people were obviously doing it, but you always did it in such a way that someone was saying, okay, um, this library has been tested and is guaranteed to work as long as you're using this platform uh, with this OS, whatever, because the language itself never made any guarantees about a lock or anything like that. It, it was just all completely undefined behavior. But that's kind of unacceptable for us. We got to define that. So starting with 11, we've now defined that. And I think the same thing needs to happen with something like uh, dynamic versus static libraries. Right now, you know, dynamic libraries are essentially undefined behavior that, you know, the standard doesn't say anything about them. It has no concept of the idea that, you know, we have, uh, say, static data, and we know that that is initialized when, uh, before main, before the beginning of main. But we don't have a concept of, oh, and if you load this library at runtime, then certain things happen as a side effect of loading the library. The language doesn't have any concept of that. And we're slow to want to define that because the platforms are different enough that if you say, okay, then when this happens, we guarantee this happens. Well, on some platforms that might be really hard to guarantee. So we have to, that's why this is always such a hard thing to do. I mean, if all platforms, you know, if we only had one platform, we just have windows. And so this is how dynamic libraries get loaded. And that's just what they are. Well, that would be pretty easy to do, but that's not the world we live in. And so when we define these things, we Go slowly, we define at the low level and, and go forward. And I think that's, I mean, even with multi-threading, this is kind of what we did. We tried to do some high-level stuff. We tried to make async and futures work. And I think that the way futures were defined, kind of this weird, I think we kind of missed the boat there. Uh, but, and I think we've got a long way to go in there. And I think- Future has no future. But, but I think it's, it's the only thing we can do, right? What? Future has no future. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's what you have to do. And I think the same thing. I hope that eventually we will find a way of standardizing dynamic libraries because a lot of people use them and rely on them and it's necessary for what they do. And yet, you know, they're completely unportable. And, and maybe that's just inevitable. Maybe there's just no way to do to to do something that makes sense in the standard. And we just have to say that's always not portable. I don't know. But. But I would like to believe that as we go forward, someone will figure out a way of specifying dynamic libraries that is that can be implemented portably in the same way that we did with uh, processes. Well, interestingly, I don't think it's dynamic libraries per se that are the problem. And in fact, I think in the uh, one of the evolution groups at the last uh, meeting, there was a proposal that, that went through. I think it, it got forwarded on. I'm not sure what the status of it now. But it related to, if I remember rightly, defining some attributes for the purpose of specifying dynamic linkage, um, at, at least uh, some of it. It wasn't like a, a full-on, you know, here's how we're going to support dynamic libraries. But 
it was a nod in that direction that you know we need a standard uh, mandated way to to define these things because everyone's doing it anyway but that didn't touch the file system it didn't touch anything to do with the environment it was just like just a pure sort of abstract attribute that you can interpret in that way so i think there is a little bit of an appetite there to to standardize things that will help but it's that aspect of going outside the compiler to the environment that seems to be the sticking point and that's the same with, with the the modules situation well i mean so again it's, it's about setting the precedent i think well, I think I think the 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 parallel there. I think they are parallel, but you change from being concerned about the file system to being concerned about the OS, right? Because the OS is going to treat dynamically loaded libraries. Different OSs will do that differently, just like different file systems are gonna are gonna be, you know. Right, but then with, we have the same situation with with include files, whether you call them headers or not. There are aspects of that mechanism that are implementation defined, and then there yes. is a part that is completely defined in the standard and we, we could move towards a similar situation with uh, dynamic libraries there, are, there will be mechanisms within the language that are, are well defined that have specific meaning then it sort of stops at a point where we say from this point on it's implementation defined uh, and that can still be better than where we are now for, for similar yeah. reasons yeah yeah i think the only thing the standard really requires is that 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 the location of a file can can be designated with a string and that's all it says. It says nothing about the format of the string or anything like that. It just says, okay. And and it's using both for includes because when you include, when you do a pound include, you don't have to just put the name of the file. You could put an entire path there. I mean, you know, you put whatever, right? That's completely undefined what that is, unless it's in angle brackets, in which case it's a standard provided thing. And, and again, some kind of magic has to know when you say pound include vector, the compiler has to know what that means. And and the standard doesn't say how it knows that, but it does. And and then when you open up when you open a file again, you translate a, a a string of characters into a file, and the format of that is completely unknown. That's the only requirement we put on it. The vast majority of systems that real users use use you know a hierarchy of you know a directory inside a directory, or maybe it's called a folder or something like that. But I mean, we have really really similar approaches in the real world, but the standard is much more vague than that. You know, it's possible that files could just be numbers. <laughs> Say, okay, open 27 now, uh, and, and the standard would be fine with that. And, but, but, but I think when you start to get into, oh, what's the behavior when we load a library, that's going to be hard to specify. At least it seems to me. I, I think that DLLs also, I mean, we kind of strayed from the modules, but they also touch on things like runtime reflection at the end of the day. If you really want to do it properly, then you have to at least gaze in that direction. And people in C++ are very reluctant on doing that because like, that's totally not C++, right? So if you want to do some kind of... If you're loading something dynamically, you, have, you want to make sure that somehow your types match and otherwise it's UB anyway and... Uh, it's a whole can of worms that that I think nobody really wants to stick their hand in there, or because it, it it's it's not just not just about lookups of files. It's about matching tables, and again, assuming the compiler or the standard never wants additional files that are non C or non C plus like make files or script files or definition files, um, then it's it's we're kind of 
trying to pull ourselves out of the swamp from our hair, right? Right. And I can understand why people don't want to get in that business. But if you don't get in that business, then what happens is you have a, a huge disparity. I shouldn't say disparity. You have a huge, huge variety of approaches in, in what the way people package their source. And now we're in this situation where people are trying to build package managers and the fact that oh, libraries may look like this, or they may look like this, or they may look like this. There's all these different varieties, and it's really hard to get your to reason about a library in a generic way because they because and, and you know, I mean, there's some historical reasons for this, but I think that li- languages that have been developed more recently than C++ uh, have approached this in a way where they include the idea of oh, well, you're going to be able to download a a library and just use it. And it makes their lives so much easier than in the C++ world where adding a new dependency is such a, such a real pain because of the fact that we haven't specified anything outside, you know, Oh, the, the language itself is very, very well specified and the world in which it lives, that environment in which it lives, eh, that's kind of whatever uh, it's conventions and history and all these kinds of things. And, um, and trying to specify it is a real, real pain. But if you don't have that, then you have this other real pain of people. You, they didn't have any guidelines, so they all went off in a different direction. And then you can't reason about it across all the different um, the different approaches that you'd like to be able to do that. I think we're going to have to have another dependency manager and build systems episode. <laughs> Isn't that like every other episode? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's about <laughs> all. <laughs> That's our big pain point. <laughs> we keep straying into it, but let, let's get some people that actually know this stuff back on. Yeah, that's probably that's probably yeah. true. Yeah, we got into it because of uh, because of Colby's blog yeah. post, and um, but I but I think it's an important topic, and and I I know this is one of the things that um, um, that was discussed a lot at at CPPCon, um, you know, this build issue, and I was thinking that that somehow we'd we'd made some progress on it and it wasn't as big an issue, but, but reading, you know, Colby kind of suggests that it's still a very much an open issue. And so that was why I was, why I brought that up. So the main thrust of the, the issue that uh, Colby brings up was around uh, performance and, and determinism, but particularly how that affects performance of the module system, because so many people are thinking uh, when we get modules, it's going to make my, my code compile much faster. And again, uh, Robert in the chat, been saying that uh, people have a million lines of code of uh, you know heavily templated header code uh, that they're not going to get the speed ups that they they expect. Interestingly, one of my previous jobs, uh, I did have a million lines of code of heavily templated header code that took over an hour to compile, um, parallelized, so over thirty two cores, I think, still still took over an hour. Uh, and we we experimented with uh, different ways of doing pre compiled headers. And we found in the end that if we, because we had numbers of uh, different projects that, that built different DLLs on the Windows system, we found if we could share our pre-compiled headers uh, between projects, we could actually get the build time down to under 10 minutes. Uh, and that's the sort of performance improvement that I was hoping for originally from modules that I still think would be achievable uh, if, we, if we get this right. But uh, obviously with these problems, that could get in the way of that. Um, in that particular case, I think rewriting the whole thing from scratch, we could probably do it in a minute, but that's another question. Right. But but that um, 
well, what he's saying is that includes are much more have are much more friendly to parallelization because they are standalone, right? Whereas, but the way that modules are currently specified, yes, but not necessarily inherently to uh, in includes versus modules. If we have the deterministic lookup, then then we can actually solve that problem. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, if if the standards committee said, "Oh, look, uh, you have to have a file somewhere in your source that says this module is found here," right? Um, and I'm not sure that's that big a that that's that big a uh, a requirement. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you could say, "Oh, um, the compiler builds this file for you," or your IDE builds this file for you. And it, I mean, how often is it going to change? How often are you going to create a new, a new, um, a new module from scratch? So, so maybe the first time you ever build your project, it's slow because it has to brute force find all the modules, and then once they're found, it it creates this file, which you could then edit to add a new module or whatever. But once that file's there, then we have deterministic lookup. It's easily parallel, easily parallelizable. And we get the six times speed up that you saw in your project. So it's an interesting point. Uh, how often we'll be creating a new module. The the impression I'm getting from the, the way people are talking the in the committee is that we're expecting modules to just be everywhere. Like everything's going to be a module which means we'll possibly be creating modules very frequently. So I don't know if that impacts what you were just saying, but that is a consideration that we could be living in a very different world with respect to modules uh, once we actually get them in the standard. Then we might be thinking, oh, we could use them here, we could use them there to get these improvements. But if we fundamentally change the way we use our language, that could actually just give it a different topology to the whole problem. Actually, that's the kind of advice that I often give developers uh, when I see somebody doing a monolithic library that does everything, and I just want to use one part. I always, you know, break it up into smaller libraries, and I'm guessing this is the exact same logic for modules um, that you, you're referring to, isn't it? Yeah, it's more that uh, modules should become the default way that we componentize our our code bases rather than the you know classes and header files. Uh, obviously, we still use classes and things, but the, the module will become a very common currency in our code bases is the expectation. Not just something that we'll use in these places where we think we might benefit from them, but actually use them everywhere. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it makes me wonder if there's going to be, at some point, we're going to wish we had super modules. In other words, maybe I want to include your, you know, I want to use your graphics library. So I want to, I want that to be a module that I include. But within your graphics library, Maybe there's, you know, several dozen different individual classes and you have in, internally architected each one of those as its own module. And I don't want to really have to include all those modules. What I want to include is your module, which is the super module, which includes all the other modules. I think we'll have to see how the idioms emerge and what problems they bring. But yeah. uh, we've got to get modules in the first place. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the roadblock at the moment. And I think we definitely need to have a modules episode. Yeah. Somebody's suggesting to get uh, oppo uh, opposing opinions mm -hmm. on the show. <laughs> Never short of those. Yeah, I think we should get uh, uh, Robert Ramey and anybody else on. <laughs> <laughs> Robert's one of my favorite guests because he's, he, he, he doesn't, 
he, he doesn't hesitate to speak his mind, but he also comes up with ideas that I never would have come up with. And so that's what I like. It's a, it's a fresh perspective. So thank you very much, Robert, for, uh, uh, for hanging in the, the chat room, but also for being on. Um, so we do, Robert says he likes lurk mode. I think he wants to kibitz more than, more than he wants to be on the show. Um, so maybe we'll reach out to Colby and see if we can get him on. Hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, and maybe some, and maybe someone who has a contrary point opinion who says that this is, uh, that we're ready to go. Let's, let's vote it in and let's ship it. And, um, and the, either the, either the problems aren't really problems or else they're things that we can solve easily after we, after we specify the language. I don't know. That would be interesting to do. Um, are there other topics that we wanted to cover? This one did kind of derail us a bit. Um, yeah, sorry for throwing that in. So uh, Rene says, um, sorry, I missed this. I was in a telecom with Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Renee has been working a lot on, on the bill system issue. So, uh, so it was probably, uh, I don't know what the telecom specifically was, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm I'm hoping there's serious discussions going on in this. That we get it right because it's the kind of thing that's really painful to get wrong. Anything that we put in the standard that's wrong, it's really painful. Uh, not as much library stuff. We can work around that, despite Vector Bool reminding us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that Colby's a, name. By, Colby's by, name by is Vector name. Bool. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was a problem. Um, point I was going to make earlier, actually. Uh, yeah, it's easy to get the impression from this that. The, the, the committee, certainly those that are looking at modules, are asleep at the wheel. They're definitely not. There's a lot of active discussion yeah, yeah. going on. These these problems are being taken seriously. It's just not necessarily seriously enough. Um, and there is another paper that is it is linked from uh, from Colby's article, but I think it's worth pointing out directly. Uh, P one four two seven R zero concerns about module toolability. Uh, so this this paper has been written. It's got. Um, six or seven names on it, but there are plenty of other people that contributed to it as well. Um, just going through all of the problems with the uh, the modules proposal, as it was, I think, a, a few months ago. I don't know if that's changed since. Um, so yeah, th these things are being discussed, just not necessarily going in the direction that, that some people would like. It looks like Renee's name is on uh, there. He is. He, he just came online. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Colby says you want to have 22 people on at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, we can have 22 people in the chat room, but we probably can't have 22 people on the microphone at a time because that would be a nightmare. But, um, uh, but we do, but we do want to talk about this stuff. So maybe uh, we've, we've veered off heavily into this from our talk. Um, is there anything we want to talk about? Uh, in your user group or conference while we still have you. We have just a few minutes left here. Um, How have you been for finding, uh, do you meet once a month? Yes, we have uh, monthly meetings. Uh, this so is... how, how have you been for finding your monthly speakers? Um, have you been uh, having to push really hard to get that? Are you and Michael doing all the talks or are you getting, uh, are you building up a local community of, of speakers? Yeah, I, I think we haven't given a talk in quite a while. I think most of the latest talks I've given are have been at uh, conferences. Um, 
the thing I try to do is really to try to build a community. So uh, I always have, uh, like, we, we do a news and updates where we talk about stuff that changed within the group and upcoming conferences. And I tell people, I explain, we gen- we usually have new new faces. So I always go back to the same slides and, and explain our goals and how you don't have to be an expert to talk. You actually talk to become an expert and how we like uh, introductory talks and everything. So, um and we all, we're always booked at least two months ahead. So when I tell people, come and give a talk, it's not that, like I'm going to tell you to come next Tuesday. It's um, You have at least two months and we can discuss it. I, I can review, we can review your slides and uh, figure something out. And uh, we're, we're very open to any suggestions. And um, so, yeah, we, we've been having a lot of uh, very interesting talks. People we've never known and they just come some amazing speakers. Um Hopefully this uh, momentum just increases and doesn't taper out. Um, right, right, right. Well, it sounds like you're doing a good job of coaching because I think coaching speakers is really something that the user group can do well and not all of them do. But, um, you know, encouraging people and say, is there a library that you wish you knew better? Well, commit yourself to a talk in three months and you will know it better because you'll have, you, you know, as you said, you don't. You don't give a talk because you're a speaker. You be, I mean, because you, you're the expert. You become the expert because you've given the talk. Yeah, uh, exactly. It forces you to do the to do the research, to think it through, and to think it through very deeply because you have to explain it to someone else. Um, all the things that I know, I know because I did a talk on it and I had to think it through to to understand it. You, you, I, you know, I learned this when I was in college. I did a little bit of, of tutoring of of math. And I, I had always gotten A's in math. I thought I understood it. But when I had to explain it to somebody else, I realized there's more to understand than I had originally thought. And the same thing is true when you're talking about C++. If you decide, oh, I'm going to give a talk on fill in the blank, by the time you give that talk, you will know a lot more about it. You'll really understand it better. And um, so I think it sounds like you're doing a good job of, of coaching people, letting them know, you know, go ahead, sign up. You'll have a few months to prepare your talk, and by the time you do, you'll you'll then you'll be the expert. Yeah, we have uh, something called uh, we call the C4GC. It's the Core C++ C++ Core Guidelines Corner, yeah. <laughs> and the name is actually longer than the corner because the corner is just ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, people. Uh, Whenever people say, you know, I've never spoken before, but uh, I want to try. And I say, you know, you can come and give this. Just go to the core guidelines, pick a few guidelines of your choice and come and explain them because the guidelines are way too large to, to really for anybody to really know them well. So anything, any topic you choose there is going to be new to most people. And uh, it's just 10 minutes and the, the beginning of the, uh, the meetup. So. You know, even if you do a bad job, people are, are there are still two more talks after you, and it's a great way to to gain experience. And it's it's usually a, a very fun and and uh, uh, and people like it. Oh, and there's one more thing that I like to do uh, at the beginning of every meetup. And this is something I I like selling to other meetup groups. Um, it's something I saw at Code Dive last year, and I adopted it from the first meetup. I call it Meet Your Neighbor. So I give the attendees three minutes to turn to somebody who's sitting next to them and that they didn't come with and just introduce themselves. Uh, and instead of, you know, 
queer engineers who is sometimes very sometimes socially awkward so in this case it's no. I'm actually reversing that and and it's awkward not to do it right so yeah. everybody starts talking and then I literally have to almost violently stop them talking and say, okay, <laughs> pick it up at the break you know and and the next time they yeah. come to the meetup they already know each other and I think this is making also a huge difference for people they feel more comfortable and the group becomes familiar so they feel less stressed out coming and giving a talk so yeah It all kind of rose up into this community building effort. That's the content for the meetup sessions is much more flexible. for example, for the conference, like the last time with the session, which was more theoretical on cryptography, algorithms, and then we went to the libraries which implemented. But basically, on the meetups, we cover a much wider range of topics than just you know, purely C++ related. But also it, it may open it to more people to come and speak about the things like they encounter at work, at studies and so on. Yeah, it, it, that's if you, if you want your local user group to talk about something that you're interested in, one way of making sure that happens is for you to give the talk. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I believe like everybody who's doing C++ on a daily basis is, Almost every day you hit something you have like this um, micro aha moment yeah and this could be a, a tweet or it could be a blog post and if it's a blog post it's a talk right so or a lightning talk so you just gotta keep your your eye out and they're all every day you see you hit those unless you're stuck on building files are you going to be doing lightning talks at the conference at um yeah I think we have that's TBD yet we haven't arranged that yet so okay, okay. It's probably clo- I saw Phil just opened his call for lightning talks yesterday so I'm, I'm I don't feel that uh, we're in any hurry no 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 <laughs> it, yeah. it's not it's certainly not too late to have them lined up what I meant was though are you planning to uh, that's I know Michael case who does lightning talks at both Cpos now and CPPcon he likes to do them in the evening he thinks that they work better. In the evening, you're a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more willing to uh, consider offbeat ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's still uh, things uh, we're talking about this. Uh, we're thinking maybe to have some kind of hackathon uh, oh, okay. uh, for again, we have a lot of ideas and we just want to it's still five months away and we have to see the the, the mix of people who are interested and um, we're just thinking. playing it by ear you know because um i don't want to scare you but i think it's closer to four I, all of my experience is hearsay from you guys so it's uh <laughs> i'm just copying you and we're just picking and choosing uh from the ndc guys from from cpp con cp now cpsc everybody you know we're cha- reading the slack channels and okay this sounds like this could work this could work so uh, we're just borrowing from each other but i think this is like this is the meta community right this is how it should be and Yeah. yeah 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 one cool thing we had uh like for lightning talks we made uh, uh we had fortune cookies made with uh lightning talk topics so everyone uh, again i'm trying to reverse the natural tendency to not participate so if you yes. took a cookie now you owe us a lightning talk <laughs> and and that worked yeah that, that was really fun that sounds good yeah um so i think we We are actually past time here, so okay. we need to start yeah. wrapping it up, right? We do, yes, yeah. Unless we want to go for the um, step up to the hour and a half slot. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so well, much for having us. 
Well, thanks, thanks for joining thanks us, so and too. and best of luck, uh, best of luck with the conference, and you know, thank you for joining joining the community and extending the community yeah. in Israel. I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I think it's a great success story to say. What did you say? A year and a half ago is when you decided. Well, let's let's start. You know, I wish there was a user group here. I guess I have to make it myself. Yeah, That's the yeah. Only way. Just under, uh, uh, just over a year. Yeah. Less than that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I hope that gives hope to other people who are saying, "Gosh, I, I wish in my state or in my country there was a user group." And I was like, "Well, guess what? You're it. It's up to you. You can make <laughs> it happen." And you may find out that that there are a lot of people just waiting for you to have started that, and they jump on board and say, "Well, you know." Can I can I participate and find a great co-organizer? I mean, Michael is is uh, he's quiet because he's uh, um, he's kind of getting over his cold. But uh, right, he's an amazing co-organizer. He's actually the producer. He makes all the videos for YouTube. So I'm totally in that. Too, and uh, it's a great team. Thanks. Yeah, definitely find someone to share the, yeah, the workload. Exactly. With. It makes all the All right, Great. so we should uh, we should wish everybody safe coding. Um, stay away from the stay away from the cutting edge. <laughs> <laughs> Module is considered harmful. Okay, there's your title. Don't say that yet. <laughs> All right. Well, um, please join me then in wishing everyone and saying uh, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe, safe coding. coding. Safe coding. <laughs> <laughs>